Mimi. This is Cricket, and we're here in our living room with Tom House. Say hey. Hello. How y'all doing? He's going to play some songs for us and talk to us a little bit today. Have a lot of fun. You want to play something just right off? or? I can. All right. Tell your soul, now there is a symbol. Nothing sustaining the hard truth ridicules a skeleton strain in the resurrect yesterday. Some parody virtue, this culture's about vultures and victims to rescue. Now sing me a song about the last desperate man. Dug a hole in the ground, walked away. Anything he ever wanted, he bought into. Was a part this whole world disappeared just like that. Say your soul, some abstraction, no real definition. This music made sense once, and then everything. I was young, I was hard, I scared, but I'd sing with my eyes closed, knees shaking. I'd stand all alone, hear my voice spit its venom through that cheap microphone. Song about the last desperate man dug a hole in the ground, walked away. Anything he ever wanted, he bought into was a part. This whole world disappeared just like that. And outside of New Bronxville, when hot sun was night, parking lot, some motel, he knows what he knows, but that don't make it right. Walks out to that road, goes this way or that one way or the other. He's always right here, don't make any matter. And the truth of it all, when it shows itself, the way he's humbled and falls to his knees, and it's clear right here remains how you see it, you feel it, is hell or however else you choose, you believe it. It's like you. Perceive it and you live it however you will. Oh, la dee dee, la dee 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 no inkling what's in you and don't really care they can't really make you they don't really like you you ain't never been one of them or fit in anywhere and I tried to be faithful I tried to be true some tradition that matters but really none of them do you get down to the core where there just ain't no more it's all lies and rituals Talk what to feel Till it all runs together And ain't none of it real Some nights it's a whiskey Some nights it's just me Them years come back on it all Bitter and cold Some nights I see through it all Right to the end I stand steady and hard Facing the door Facing the fact Celebrated and poor 
dug a hole in the ground, walked away. Anything he ever wanted, he bought into was a part. This old world disappeared just like that. This old world disappeared just like that. The last desperate man. Okay. Uh, that's actually the title of title song of my last CD on Catamount. I just never was happy with the last verse, so I rewrote it. You know, I may end up putting it somewhere else. And I recorded that version over at George Bradfuse with Scott Chase. We just went in there. That's getting to be about a year and a half or two years now. And we went in there two two sessions and just opened a bottle of whiskey and and put down about 20 songs and figured about 15 of them would be just using just like that. Scott's uh, fellow that's produced my first two records on Checkered Pass, but he also, he's played with me for years and years, and I'm, he used to play a washboard, now he plays a paint bucket. <laughs> and, and wrenches. And, uh, oh, we saw him the other saw, day. Yeah, Scott. That was the that guy was, with you with yeah. the spoons. He was playing like the, he played the bucket. The, he, he plays the, the wrenches yeah. and the lacquer bucket, and I call it the paint bucket, but it's like technically a lacquer bucket. <laughs> He plays the saw. Whenever we record, he like lives he lives over here. Or? Yeah, he lives over oh, in Shelby over here, yeah. a couple of blocks over. And uh, I've played with Scott for years and years. We used to close down Springwater. I work in Stiff Jamboree. And so is that not going on anymore? No, it's still going on. Yeah. Yeah. It's so hard. What, it's harder to pin mean? down. Yeah. It's supposed to be every six weeks. We have a gala Christmas show mm -hmm. where you just tear the place up and just put tons and tons of tents on. So why don't you tell uh, the people a little bit about what this is? Springwater's this dive in uh, uh, West Nashville, across from the Bandy, across from the football stadium. Been there forever. It was, when we first got the town, it was called Enormous. But I think it's been there since the 20s. It was a speakeasy, actually. There was a period in the mid-80s. They used to have a lot of music there. Dave Olin, X-Rays, Pat McLaughlin, people played there. And uh, then there was some kind of BMI trouble or something. So the guy, Terry, was making all of his money off the uh, gambling machines up front there for a while. And there was a hole in the back. I mean, when it, we got, actually got rained out there a couple of times. We struck a deal with Terry that uh, we had a working stiff jamboree. That's the owner? Yeah, Terry Cantrell. You had to work. You had to have a real job. You couldn't be in the music industry to play the working stiff jamboree. And his stipulation was we couldn't advertise because he was in trouble with BMI. And we also couldn't do any of cover songs. We didn't care because everybody down there did wrote their own stuff anyway. Mm -hmm. So we did it every other week for a lot, for years and years. And then it's built slowly back up. Now it's kind of a really hip place for uh, you know alternative bands to play. Yeah. So we're now down to about, uh, we play every six weeks, mm -hmm. and every year for the last six, seven years, what we do is uh, the weekend closest to Christmas, we always have for our Christmas show, and then we just go, go back six weeks all the way through the year. I originally, I ran the writer's night there in about 80, 81, 82, somewhere around there, and it used to have, it used to have music every night, and it was, it was as likely to be a singer-songwriter as it was to be a band. Mm -hmm. That's all been changed the last eight or nine years anyway. Do you think it's because of the industry and that's just not what people are interested in? or? Well, there are a lot more bands now. And it's just true. If people, When people are out drinking, they don't want to listen to some songs like I. You know, I sometimes think about that. You know, I were 18 or 19. Yeah, they're trying to you know, get laid and everything. Like, why do you want to listen to some you know, middle-aged old man up there singing about God? And, you know, <laughs> I don't know. Our whole reason to be is to convince people that that's what they do when they exactly. listen to. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to do one of your political songs? Did you bring any material like that with you? Or? Well, 
you know, you heard the other night. I did. I've got right a new song called "George Don't Let Friends Friends Don't Let Friends Drive Drunk," and I realized I didn't want. That was a great song. Yeah. I realized I didn't want to ever do that song again. Because <laughs> uh, I have written a couple during the years, and it's a, and Dylan had something in his uh, USA Day thing the other day talking about it. And this, they are dated. I've got like it was a song that was really popular at one time, and it was a. Uh, Revelations. I don't want to live through Revelations. I don't want to live through Nostradamus. I don't want to live what Reagan's right wing halfwits got in store for us. Mm-hmm. And of course, that's totally dated now, you know. And, it's, and of course, we didn't live through. But do you think that's a problem? I mean, I think that, like, I mean, you're anytime you're writing about politics, it's always, especially if you're shouting out. Like, for example, would you say that Country Joe and the Fish song against the war from the '60s was dated? Well, it is dated, but uh, it did have life. Yeah, and part of it's being dated is is good. I think. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's like the uh, the early Dylan stuff, the the Masters of War, except except which is a phenomenal song, right? And like has universal appeal. It has universal appeal. Maybe I just thought that song was too much. You know, it was just too because I think the times have changed. Just the acrimony between the, think, the the left and the right now. And this maybe part of that is that people are afraid though to say stuff like that nowadays. I think people are too lazy. I don't, I don't think it has anything to do with afraid. I was thinking about that this, this morning. Is when I was growing up after the '60s, we kept waiting for the next time it was going to be the '50s, and you know, and uh, the, it, it was going to come around again, and it never did. It never got that bad. And I think it finally has got that bad now. That people are so locked into ways of thinking. There's no way out of it. You know? yeah. I think it's this damn two-party system because it's always either or. Right. You know, why can't we get a third party? Why can't we get like a Four or five parties, so everybody has to agree. Everybody got a little tiny percentage, you know. Right. And we're so hooked into this two-party system thing, which basically just means and is not based on the Constitution at all. <laughs> no, no. It's, it, I mean, we were, we we had three parties at different times, and then yeah. you know, four parties. You know, it's just something's happening. I don't know, you know, exactly what it is, but uh, but I don't know. Yeah, I, I find uh, politics that are uh, out of the out of the the personal mm-hmm. are much more powerful than uh, say like that, one, which was basically a, you know. Attack on on Bush because you know. I did I had to change one verse in it because it was like you know the, the people that are are present they aren't like us they were born with silver shovels crammed up there and, you know. and but then like all you got to do is go back to Clinton and they weren't you know. right anyway here's one it's uh, I I got to a point where I was writing poems and songs and I wasn't sure which they were half all the way through and this is one long cat so I wrote it a while back but I think I wrote it during the first Gulf War and I never really performed it. Who counts the money in the offering plate? Who's gonna give till it really hurts? What was the hunger turn your heart to hate? Old brother, can't you see we'll get our just desserts? I sat at the table when the table was full, filled myself with the flavor of the day, and all the time I was sinking in the mud, I was sinking in the blood, all that came before me, sinking in the blood, it was all around me, oh brother, can't you feel it, can't you feel that hurt? Sometimes I just throw up my hands For the times to man I don't understand How we're dancing in the face of the promised land Everything we got is good is gone This for a moment we all pretend Where all there is how else could it end All evil falls before us What is truth? What is salvation? The destiny our imagination Line dogs that lead our nation where we need to be a 
people say we don't respect really much care if I got mine and I'm just fine. All them foreign people dying there on the TV by the thousands maybe, but that ain't me. If we say we can, if we say we will, that makes it right, that makes it real, let none stand in our way. Justification, my God, my God, show us the way. We're marching toward Jerusalem, we're marching toward the judgment day. Men in power know what plays the superstitions, buttons push the people lost the day to day. And scared they pay and pray, expect so much more than they're ever gonna get. And there ain't no what we became, we believed what it was, we wanted to hear Republicans and Democrats, we're all living off the fat, anyone can see it clear, no truth left you and me on that deeper level, God died the 20th century, but then again so did the devil, ain't no truth, ain't no evil religion, men and politics, throw it up against the wall and see what sticks, hey, what do we really stand for these days, who counts the money in the offering plate, who's gonna give till it really hurts, what was the hunger turn your heart to hate, oh brother, can't you see, we'll get our justice. Who counts the money? So you said earlier the first time you played, you changed the last verse too. Do you find you do that a lot when you play songs over time, that they sort of change with you playing them? Uh, yeah, over time they do. They've always done that. But what I have found as I've gotten older is I'm a lot less decisive than I used to be. Because I don't play as much. Uh, we first got to town, you, you played writer's nights every night. Every bar in town had them because uh, they knew they could get a bunch of Hard drinking. And you've been here permanently since '76. Yeah, since '76, I've been here straight away. Well, except I was on the road for five or six, about five years. Later. But yeah, this has been my permanent residence since '76. And I was here in '73 and '74 and '75 too. I just. I and where in North Carolina are you from? Durham, the uh, Research Triangle Park. It's, it was a really cool area to be from, but it was just it was also a really cool area to get out of. <laughs> Anyway, so um, you were saying about uh, how your songwriting has changed as you've gotten older. So, uh, yeah, then I, it was much more of a pressure thing. I, I, you know, I didn't have a car at the time either, so I'd be walking to a writer's night and I'd be like singing the song over and over again in my head to have it down because there's a premium on having new songs. Mm -hmm. There's a bunch of us that got here at the same time uh, in the early '70s. Uh, the people like Rob Stanley that was there the other night, and he writes just totally off the wall songs. John Ellingham, who's the three of us kind of got this thing started at uh, uh, Working Stiff Jamboree. But then Bob Holmes was there. He's kind of a Texas country blues sort of guy. Got a bunch of bluegrass cuts for some reason. And uh, Steve Belaski came here with me. And uh, there's just a bunch of people. And Tyler got here a little bit later. And of course, there were a bunch of other people that were in different circles at the time, which you know, amounted to Steve Earl and Dave Olney. And, uh, and you can see these people playing around town all the time. Steve Young you know, was, was here at the time. It was just, the seventies were a really cool, cool time to be here, you know? and to learn that—that's basically where you learn the craft. You know, when people ask me you know, who who influenced you, it's like it was somewhat it was 
Bob Dylan, Buffy St. Maria, whatever like that, but a lot of it's got to be Dave Olney and Pat McLaughlin and people that I I was seeing like a couple times a week here. You know? John Allingham and Rob Stanley, I mean, these are the first people that put the idea in my head that you can write a song about anything you want to. You know? mm -hmm. People are all sitting around. I'm just amazed at how limited is the scope of what people write about on the radio. Right. It's like the same thing, same subjects over and over again. It's like either going out and getting drunk and having a party or you know, like either being in love or being left. And it's like, I mean, those guys show me you can write a song about anything. So influence you mean directly, um, like the actual content, or um, the way you pick and play, or different things from different people. Yeah. I would say you know a lot of it is you know, from Rob. I, I think and John, it's just like open my eyes to the possibility that you can write about anything. You know? mm -hmm. Pat McLaughlin is just I don't know if you're familiar with his work or not, but he's just he's got a way. He plays on one of my records and it's I'd already recorded the song, and then he came in and added his mandolin to it. And it's like he's it's almost like he speeded it up, but he didn't speed it up. It's like I'm asking Tommy, who's uh, Tommy Goldsmith, who I've worked with for many, many years. How's he do that? You know, and he says he's playing on the front of the beat, which still doesn't make any sense to me. But I can just hear it. It's like it, the song, you know, is still going at the same tempo, but for some reason it just sounds perkier. And Pat's like that. I, Pat's the one person that I've done a show with, just because I've never done a show with Ray Charles or Dan Morrison or like that. Mm -hmm. but, but just blew me off the stage totally. And it's just because it's—he's just out there. He's just what he's doing is something else. You know, and he's one of those cool charismatic performers I've ever seen. But Dave Olney is like it too. Dave Olney is just, he's, he's recognized as one of the uh, great songwriters. I've been, he got Tommy Goldsmith and I together, we, we adapted a bunch of uh, songs from Faulkner's novel. Right, As I Lay Dying. As I Lay Dying. Right. And, uh, and we actually wrote an opera for uh, Light in August. And then he got out of it. In fact, he's refused to do it again, which is a little point. How did that come about? Contention. I mean, why Faulkner? Was it a commission or? Yeah, I mean, Opera Memphis commissioned us to do it. This guy Michael Chin down there. We started writing As I Lay Dying, which of course is really neat because they are, each chapter is by a single person, so we were all different characters. And we got well into doing it, had 10 or 12 or 15 songs, whatever, and we found out that someone had bought the grand performing rights to make a movie out of it, so we couldn't do a dramatic presentation of it. So we switched over and actually wrote the opera for the first chapter of Light in August, which Opera Memphis put on. Uh, they did a couple of runs with it. But they were playing the, Ox the uh, Faulkner Festival in Oxford and asked us to come down there and uh, just sing it in the round. So we did that and we worked out telling the story. And we blew the opera off the stage, you know, which I kind of thought we would. You know, the guy the night before, Michael Chang, he was like saying, like, just enunciate your words, you know, and, and uh, you'll do well. You know, and I'm sitting there as he left, I was thinking, Man, we're in Oxford, Mississippi. We're going to be up there with, you know, mouth harps and mandolins and guitars, and he's going to be there with the opera. You know, <laughs> who's, who's in more foreign territory here? And, of course, you know, we, we went over much, much better than the opera did, and we performed it for 12 or 14 years. We performed it a bunch of times and you know, got up to us charging as much as $3,500 to do it. Because wow. we all just live in different places, so we said, well, look, every time someone asks us, let's just jack the price up. Man. But we all just gotten older and crankier and... Uh, so that, that kind of died off. But we were doing it in Chattanooga. A representative of the Alabama Shakespeare Festival saw us and asked us to, to adapt the music to a Lee Smith novel, Fair and Tender Ladies, which we did. And, uh, and they commissioned us for the Southern Writers Project. And that's been put on nine or ten times. And it's going to be put on again next year in, uh, in May back down there with the original actress. The actress that does it, Greta Lambert, is just out of sight. I mean, she's just mind-boggling. She's gonna, and they're gonna take that production down there to Off Broadway, so it's gonna open Off Broadway next uh, fall se fall season in '07. Wow! And then of course you guys are all very excited. I could do a song from that if you like. Sure, that would be great. Uh, 
the whole the whole book is written from the uh, point of view of this young girl, Ivy Rose, who's eight years old when it starts, and then it tells her whole life till she dies, and it's all in the form of letters that she writes to different people. But this here song is uh, this is kind of fun because it doesn't rhyme at all, and it's it's kind of fun because the, the actress actually talks it for the most part, and um, she's got a sister, Sylvani, who uh, right after this song ends up cutting herself up really badly, and they and she, they send her to a mental place, state hospital, and she's gone from that point on. But uh, Ivy still keeps writing her letters. She gets up of a morning and runs off in the woods. I swear she is like a wild animal. You cannot catch her or slow her down or ask her a thing when she is like this. She'll talk herself out loud, then she'll cock her head like she's listening to somebody. Then she'll answer back, only nobody really there. You can't understand the word she says. So many I don't want to lose you. So many I don't want to lose you. So many I don't want to lose you and watch you slip away. Now there's a light in her eyes now like a regular fire. Like her whole face is lit up from inside. That pale smooth skin, them big blue eyes like leaks. Just like right under there is flames. Just like she does not need to sleep nor eat now. Either one, Sylvania slipping out the pine trees. So smooth on the sticky stone. Sylvania, I don't want to lose you. Sylvania, I don't want to lose you. Sylvania, I don't want to lose you and watch you slip away. Talking out, talking in the woods Only when I come where she was, she is gone Only a footprint or a broken leaf Her voice on a high, dry wind Oh, Daddy, I know that there's something now Something terrible happening So, baby, I don't want to lose you So, baby, I don't want to lose you So, baby, I don't want to Watch you sleep away. Watch you sleep away. I feel like I need a shot of whiskey every time you sing to just sort of like tamp down the. I do that. I bet it hurts. Yeah. I have a hard time. Yeah, I sit around a lot and, and drink whiskey and sing. You know. Yeah, we were reading the quote about the girl whiskey and the boy whiskey thing earlier. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. So when you sing, you've got almost a, a old style high lonesome kind of mountain sound. I'm not sure how that happened. I, I remember I was up in New York and uh, I visited a friend up there, and we played. We we're playing with these guys in Brooklyn, and this, and this one guy was like, saying, said, "You sing through your uh, the bones in your cheeks," and he said, and "He said." He said, "That's the way to do it." I, I said, "Oh, really?" I thought he was you know making fun of me or saying something. He said, "No, that's what you need to do." You know? But, so it's not something you've cultivated, it's just been sort of the natural... Nothing I do is, is, is I ever thought about, you know. It's just all been... Because I've, I've got recordings of me from 20 years ago, and there's a lot of it I don't do. All the, the screaming and hollering, I didn't used to do that. But it just seemed like there was a lot of... I did always kind of hum to myself, 
I've got tapes that are 30 years old where in between I'll be you know, mm-hmm. and I'll go, mm-hmm. So, you know, and, and the guy I was playing with at the time, Don kept saying, quit, stop that, you, know, you can't do that, you know. And but what eventually happened, instead of like quitting it, I just elevated it. And it beats, I don't play guitar well enough to play a lead, and I, don't, and I didn't want to be one of those singer-songwriters that did the Dylan thing with a little harp and all. Right. So in between, I just started singing, and and, uh, and somehow or another, it just kind of caught on. And, and you also write poetry, right? And you edited a poetry journal for a long I time. I did a poetry journal, journal called Raw Bone, and I've got a book out called The World According to Whiskey, that New South Press is going to be put out. Supposedly, there's a second book coming out in, uh, on the fall fall season at New Court down in Montgomery. It's going to be the end of civilized poetry, you know it. <laughs> and uh, and that would be great, because I mean, the other one like had 100 poems in it. This one's going to have 100 poems. And, that's a lot. Yeah, it's 200 poems, and it's kind of like, yeah, you know, there might be enough. I've, I've got a little substrata of, like, perverse and pornographic poems that uh, I'm probably going to wait till I die. Let <laughs> <laughs> somebody else put yeah, them out. Yeah, put them out, yeah. Because these are, some of these the are kind of... Posthumous pornography poems. Yeah. <laughs> some of these are kind of like, yeah, they walk the line. Looking over that far horizon do you think I see a land of milk and honey that was never meant for me? A sky so blue, a dream so true, a moment just like me and you, so close and yet so far away. Here and gone, 
I've got uh, two records on Checker Pass. The neighborhood is changing, and um, this white man's burden. It's got a real nice write-up by Gerald Marcus and uh, Esquire. Mm -hmm. You also had a salon review of that one, didn't you? I had a salon review of, I think, the next one until until you seen mine. And uh, yeah, I've got really good press, and uh, but it's just it's always been a problem with distribution and and, and all that. You know, Checkered Pass went out of business after two. They were they were a great label, and they they did me right and. Uh, Paid up front and, you know, and did it like you're supposed to do, which is probably why they went under. Because that, that's not the way any uh, people operate now. But Eric Babcock actually signed me to a there's a CD called Across the Alley mm -hmm. that Bloodshot put out. Right, and you also were on the Insurgent, yeah, the Insurgent yeah, population. I was yeah. on that one there, and Eric Babcock was with Bloodshot at the time, and he wanted to put out my first. I put out a cassette, which you can get at the same price inside these walls, and. Uh, so he knew I was doing another one, and he wanted to put it out, and the, the people of Bloodshot just wouldn't do it. The people of Bloodshot really despised my music for some reason. <laughs> and uh, so he broke off and went with Checkered Pass and, I, and uh, signed me with them. So I had two come out with them, and they went under. And then he broke away before on Catamount. And I've got five CDs on Catamount. And the last one is uh, The Last Desperate Man, but the, the record label seems like it's been put on an 18-year-old pause. You know? So I'm looking, yeah, I'm you know, trying to find another label. And this new one's got so many scatological songs on it that I may have a hard time getting someone to... Actually, Eric, you know, people always say, Eric hasn't done right by you. Eric's the only person that's ever put out one of my records. And mm -hmm. Rounder, everybody says, y'all send it to Bloodshot, and Bloodshot won't touch me. Rounder won't touch me. And I even know that guy. Ken Irwin used to come to portraits and thought, you know, told me that I was generally the best poet there. And he said, like, mm -hmm. most nights you're the best poet here. Said, well, fine, i got a CD here. You want to listen to it? <laughs> and I was like, well, not. Do you uh, think it's because your sound is too old-timey for them, or...? I think with Bloodshot it is. Bloodshot's kind of is is kind of they go they're going towards the hipper more. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But a lot of a lot of black leather and you know yeah. and old English punk bands that are now Americana bands right. and, and stuff like that. And, um, Rounder was more old timey. Rounder started out just reproducing like all these old guys, Blue Sky mm -hmm. Boy. That's why I used to, I bought a bunch of Rounder records. Mm -hmm. And but then they had George Thorogood and then it had Dave Only and they had a bunch of song singer songwriters and uh they seem like they backed off from it. They Ol seem to skew a little more rock now, I think. Rounder? Rounder yeah. I, think they huh. are. I mostly see bluegrass on there because Sugar Hill is like that too. Mm -hmm. Sugar Hill is more strictly. and they, But they also are, are safe for family family value. And I, you know, and I have a bad... Sugar Hill? Sugar Hill, yeah. Is a family values based? Oh, company? yeah. That's what Ricky Skaggs was on. And, uh, mm. It's almost all bluegrass bands. Yeah. I won't be buying any more of their records. Well, you've been disappointed with the last three we had. Everything so. I get from them, I hate anyway. <laughs> there you go. Guy Clark might be on there. I'm not sure if he is or not. But, you know, the, the guy's pretty safe, too. Yeah. It's, uh, they are, you know, it's hard Who's to find. He's one of the people that you're compared to. And another is Robbie Folks, actually. Did you see that? Yeah. I read it in um, a review of one of your albums. They compared you to Robbie Folks. Do you know him? I know Robbie Folks, sure. Yeah. I wouldn't compare us, but yeah. Yeah, I don't <laughs> think you guys are similar at all, but I guess maybe they think because it's anti establishment, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I do. I use profanity, and I'll, but I also write about subject matters that most people don't write about, and I'm not really sure why. But now, Johnny Dow, are you familiar with him? Yes. Yeah, I'm a big fan. He's a big friend of his, too. Yeah, he and I met. He was on Checkered Pass there for a while. Yeah, I'm just trying this one here. Sometimes I get it right, sometimes I don't. Fort Worth, all the neon shining bright, pretty light. Shut down all the honky tonks tonight. 
say a prayer to if they only knew. You used to say the highway was your home, but we both know that ain't true. Just the only place a man can go when he don't know where he's traveling to. The Colorado's always clean and healing. Tennessee and spring is green and cool. It never really was your kind of time. Somewhere out across the great divide Where the sky is white and the clouds are few A man can see his way clear to the light Just hold on tight, that's all you gotta do They say it takes his way, there's always change one thing change will bring is something new And Houston really ain't too bad a town So you hung around with a Fort Worth the most have been Sam Baker out of Texas and um, Malcolm Holcomb who's from North Carolina. Yeah. You know Malcolm? We you know Malcolm. Yeah. He's wild. I'm a big fan of his. Yeah. Sam Baker I don't know. Sam Baker's only got one record out. It's called Mercy and it's really, really good. What uh, kind of music is it? 
singer-songwriter Texas. That's right up your alley. Yes. He sounds like he's from Texas. He sounds like he's drunk or he's got a lisp or something. No, no. He was blown up. And a, there's a song on there. One of the songs is about that. He was blown up on a train in Peru by terrorists. Wow. So, so yeah, I didn't know, when I when I first heard it because it does. It sounds like he's got a bit of a sound. But the songwriting itself is just outstanding, and, and, and it's just got that emotional pull to it too. Yeah, there's a bunch of those Texas songwriters I like, you know, and I, I, I like Dave Olney a lot. Of course, I love all the old Dylan stuff, but you know, very rarely do I hear anybody just really knocks my head off these days. So when I do, I kind of stick with my mouth. Malcolm's, I thought I heard you knocking the last one that did that. And Sam Baker's Mercy, only I always get a listen to what he's up to. Tommy Womack I like a lot too. He's here in town. Yeah. I've never heard that much, and I heard him on RVU. Is it RVU? Yeah, the, the Vandy Station. Going home the other day, uh, Will Kimbrough was on there, and man, he just played one good song after another. Yeah, we just uh, we like him a lot. Yeah. We just discovered him a couple months ago, and he's got yeah, some good first. stuff going on. I had like one really good story. This kind of reminded me of this morning because I didn't pass out about three o'clock this morning. So it's, I, I played South by Southwest and I played at one o'clock. I had it was a day party the next day. It was like an old church they had moved. They moved it into the middle of a field in South Congress. And there's a band in there called uh, Oakville River. And uh, they were doing one of my songs. And I, so I met them. They're real nice people. And I, I think they've got, got a lot bigger now. But they had like a show. Of, it was all their people their age, you know, younger people. So I get there, it's like the gig was like at noon the next day. So I wake up at 10, 30, 11 o'clock in the morning. I think, well, first thing I need to do here is drink a beer. Uh, You're a man after our own heart. <laughs> so I did that. Well, I don't generally do that, but, but sometimes it's like a necessity. So uh, ain't no way to do this straight. You know? So I carry my little whiskey jar in there and uh, my beer. And I go in there, and there's like all these kids, and they're like all emo position. They're all drinking coffee and eating pastries. Right. And I feel like this decrepit old man sitting here <laughs> sneaking my whiskey in them. And, uh, and they all were bands and they all played really slow, serious music. Mm -hmm. And this is, I, just, I had just put out a song, an album called uh, Jesus Doesn't Live Here Anymore. Mm -hmm. It has some pretty controversial songs on it. But also it's like I was just in the mood to kind of rock because it was just so boring. You know, it's like this, this thing had gone on for like about an hour and being, you know, so, all this serious stuff. And I did, and it went over great. I got a great write-up in the uh, their their paper. There just had to be a, you know, a, a writer there that day from the uh, the alternative. I forget what Austin's, but it was just the strangest day that I, I that I'd ever spent because I'm sitting here with all kids, all playing in bands, all drinking coffee and eating pastry, you know. And I'm sitting back here. The only I was the only acoustic performer there. I was the only person. I was about fifty at the time, you know. Like, but it was a magical sort of day. It just got a great review. I had people come up saying, I remember some German guy came up and said, I wasn't going to buy any more music, said, but I kind of feel like I need to buy yours, you know. Oddly enough, first of all, I have to say kids these days. And then I have to say that there are all these German websites, oddly, okay, with all of these really Americana singer-songwriter, really obscure people. Uh -huh. And they really promote the hell out of it. Yeah. It's bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. There's a guy that uh, I've done promos for his station out of uh, Yugoslavia. And it's like, and he just, he loves this, this, this Americana music, you know. Well, do you want to do us one of your controversial type songs? <laughs> Thirty-three was her favorite age. She died a shell. No one remembered her real name. Nobody came. Her family sent flowers. It was probably her mother. Carl never forgave her. He never accepted this queer was his own. Somehow a reflection his manhood. Maybe society puts a dark mark in. Can't walk a full light. They walk in the dark. 
shell accommodatingly defiant, sweet acid tongue can't be decadent. Came out early and immediately decided she was not everyday folks. She was a woman determined to do her own thing. An old Carol Lombard, shrimp colored gown, and her hair long and frosted. She let it all down in slow measured steps the stage. She swirled around and pursing her perfect lips, she'd swallow and sing. The 60s were something and the 70s were worse. We shelled our hormones like our own private curse. A man with rough hands and a temper the role demands. She understands and plays right into it again and again. There's a divine darkness at the edge of the day. The sun surrenders an elegant play. Strong arms hold her eyes closed. She sways a dance of days. Lengthening haze, five o'clock shadows through the Maybelline. She's a sad-eyed song and dance routine. From Savannah to Atlanta, she's the old. Sinking disco over dinosaur age Going through the motions, what it means A world of illusion out of nothing they allow She wants to believe, she wants to belong Don't matter how they see her when they come on to her She's a fantasy, a shimmer of glare The light's always so bright out there Now maybe it was Raymond, it could have been anyone Neither one of them got careful or particularly discreet All in early years she had few peers She could pick and choose and she did I went over there once she was wrapped up like a mummy I went over there once she was handcuffed to the bed He's a sawed off son of a bitch She said he hates me because I'm so glamorous Now she's sad and trying to restore some dignity A world she's a joke Shrill and choking, spitting up. Here's where all I'm ever gonna be. She's first getting sick. People looking at her, she's quick. What the fuck they want looking at me? It's a long, slow, wasting away. Them that knew her, those desperate days, kept to themselves what they might have felt. Somehow it's just a whim of God or fate. And she just couldn't deal with it. Why her? She stared and swore she ain't just gonna sit around and wait. She fixed herself up pretty, fixed herself up nice. A satin scarf, a bow, what's left her hair. She's sitting there mesmerized. The mirror, that last clear moment, she has her say. There's a divine darkness, the edge of the day. The sun surrenders, an elegant blaze. Strong arms hold her eyes closed. She sways a dance of days, a lengthening haze. of five o'clock shadows through the Maybelline. She's a sad-eyed song and dance routine. From Atlanta to Savannah, she's the old George Queen.
that song's great. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think you could find a more receptive audience to that song, (laughs) actually. But yeah, that's kind of what I'm talking about, singing songs like that, you know, in front of a young crowd out, young dating crowd. It's kind of like, man, they don't hear that. Maybe not in Nashville, but I think there's pockets of people all over the country. Oh, there are. I think the issue is how they market the shows here. You know, yeah. I think there are a lot of people who'd love to hear it. They're all people who live out here by us. Right, know? and they're us trying to find shows to go to when we're trying to look stuff up, but we can never find. Yeah. Yeah, you know. Um, so do you, have you ever written any mortar ballads or like traditional type music? I mean, because your voice is really suited to it. Oh, yeah, I've got you a stay away? Oh, yeah. you have. Well, I did one the other night, The Exile. Yeah. You know, the guy kills and, you know, I've got one that's pretty close to that. It's A Child of God that, uh similar sort of thing, kind of based on uh, Cormac McCarthy's novel by the same title. Do you read a lot of Southern literature? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I can appreciate that. Southern yeah. literature is sort of why I ended up in the South in the first place, though. Yeah. Yeah, I started out when I was young. I wanted to be, uh, you know, I wanted to be hip and wanted to get big young all this. I was reading like, you know, Genet and Jean and Sartre and all this stuff. And I can go to Germans and uh, uh, Grasse. I came to work out here at a bookstore, and I worked here for six months, and that caused the complications. I had to leave and go back. And one of my all-time best and dearest friends, Ron Watson, was our general manager at the time. And so for a going-away gift, he gave me a book, and it was uh, Flannery O'Connor's Collected Works. Mm-hmm. It made me so mad because I like, and he knows I like really weird, cool, avant-garde stuff. And so I didn't read it. You know, I just set it aside. It made me, I say, it sounds so stupid now. Because then I was in a really bad car wreck that winter, and I was laid up for a long time. And I read that, and of course, Flannery O'Connor's the weirdest, you know. Yep, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man, you know. I've told Rod this story a thousand times. It's like, man, what an idiot I must have sounded like that. But yeah, that kind of got me over into it, and I, I love Cormac McCarthy's my all-time favorite novelist. I've read all of Lee's, and I have a tendency to read all of someone's stuff once I do, too. Right. So I've read all of Lee Smith's, and I'm reading, uh, there's a guy, William Gay, out of, uh, he's in Holland Mall, Texas. Now, he's great. I uh, just discovered that. I've met him a couple of times. Like I, like he was going to write an article about me for No Depression, and he, uh, he interviewed me in, on the phone. And I was traveling around. And we talked and just had two long, hour-long conversations, three or four times, and he just got drunk and never wrote the article. <laughs> <laughs> and I bet him. Every time I meet him now, he's still, man, I feel so bad about that. Wait, that guy has our gig. <laughs> <laughs> he's a, he is a drywall person. In Hohenwald, Texas, who, I mean, Tennessee, who didn't publish his first book until he was 51. Wow. And he lived with a woman who hated him and thought he was an idiot because he kept sending his stuff off and getting rejected. She didn't read it all. She thought he was an idiot that he spent so much time reading. And he said, uh, and she left him and uh, he finished the first novel within six months. And it won, like, all these awards. And he's been compared to Cormac McCarthy. In fact, some, some say he writes too much like Cormac. But yeah, he's got two books, and he's just, you know, whenever you, if you ever get a chance to sing at a book festival or something, he's funny because he's one of those mush-mouthed Southerners that's just kind of, you, know, you can't hardly understand what he's What's saying. His name? William Gay, because I started going to all these book festivals after we wrote these music, I started meeting a lot of these people. One of the wrote Ellen Foster, I've written all her stuff except for a new one. I forget her name right Kay Gibbons. She's like, man, she's a, she's a great Southern writer. But yeah, I love all these Southern. Harry Cruz, I discovered him, and he's just a lunatic, too. He's a, Southern writers are, but just totally off the wall. They are. Uh, because there's a guy named Tom Franklin that's, that's written a couple of them. He wrote a short story collection called Poacher. It's about a snake, about you know, this guy 
feeds these snakes on people to bite them in the eyes. <laughs> awesome. He's great. He also has a book that's a, uh, I like, I'm terrible with names, but there's a uh, radio show in, in Oxford that I saw him do down there. And it starts off, the opening scene in the book is this, this uh, woman sends a litter of dogs. And she has dogs, she can't keep them because they're so poor, so she has to go drown them. So the opening scene as you read, it's like with a, she's drowning this litter of dogs. And then the last scene that he's reading is this, the guy that's been the bad guy all the way through it. has been shot up and mangled. This kid comes up and discovers him there. And, uh, and the kid starts taunting him for some reason. And, it's just, and Tom was reading it on NPR, you know, and the guy was just cringing. But it was like, said, Mister, I got your pecker here. Says, Mister, I'm going to cut your pecker off. <laughs> And the guy was talking about like one of his eyes is outside of its socket, and so he's watching himself. You know, it's a totally grotesque scene. You know, and Tom's just reading it, and it's hysterical. Half the people there are sitting there, you know, laughing. Half the people sitting there, like you know, they can't believe they're hearing his voice out of his mouth. Yeah. And the guy that's running the radio station says, "I remember we were up there. I said, man, you can't say pecker on on NPR.' <laughs> well, I'm sorry, man. I didn't realize it. <laughs> so, but yeah, I love southern southern literature. Yeah, a lot of good southern writers. We breed it. All right, so you want to play us one more? What do you got out of your stack there that you mm-hmm. like a lot? What I liked about all these was I don't, I don't ever do them. Uh, <laughs> that's why I thought, well, this would be good. Or, or they're new, but yeah, I've never done them at all. Well, I've got an atheist song, and then I've got a song that's inspired by Faulkner. I picked the Faulkner song. Would you? I would have picked the atheist song. I know you would. Mm-hmm. Both songs. <laughs> All right, we can do that. All right. Let's do the atheist one. Let's go over And it's called? I don't know. It's either called All I Know or No Gala. All right, we'll make up the name because we always do that. We too. have made up a title for every person that's done a song so far. So. You made up a name? Yeah. For a song that people didn't have a straight name for. This is No Gala is the first line, but for some reason All I Know is written on Oh, all I know is the last line. (laughs) (laughs) This is no gala. This is no show. No entertainment extravaganza. I'll sing my song. It won't take long. There'll be no encore when the curtain falls. The show is over there. It's the final set, the stage is dark, the shadows stand so stark in silhouette and I can't see beyond the footlights. Long ago I come to feel this weariness and rage is real and right. And all I know, oh some nights it seems a thousand miles and back in where I've been And some night seems like tomorrow's just a dream that slips away a final tantalizing glimpse a world that never was attempts to pull me back into making me believe this is how it is has to be it always was eternity's a world we worship on our knees and the darkness builds 
fills my head like the road disappearing behind me that's led me to this moment. I stand poised, this precipice of peace and bliss, all the panic and the noise in this is all I know. There's some sadness locked me deep inside and to Lee Smith and Karen says read her book Fair and Tender Ladies and when I read it I realized yeah this is what reading used to be like it's fun you know? <laughs> <laughs> and because uh, Faulkner just got and said he was wearing me down I finally quit on Absalom Absalom I've made it through a bunch of them I made it through uh, Fire and the Fury Wind and the Fury what the hell was that Sound and the Fury God that one was there were a lot of them that were crazy that uh, one and Absalom and Absalom sadly are the ones they teach kids in school too Absolute maximum yeah. Man, oh, yeah. that thing I made no that, sense to me. I read that oh. in tenth grade, I think. Yeah. Sound and the Fury did. It's like, you know, what one character, the woman and the man had the same name, and they were like, it's like, who's he talking about? What's going on here? <laughs> but uh, I forget which one this one was about. But it was what struck me about it was the uh, he was considered so perverse in the neighborhood because he went back and wrestled with the uh, his slaves, and uh, that's not really in the in the, this thing here. It's more. It is about you know races. But anyway, I played this for my ex-wife who was, by this time we were like on our we were walking on our last legs and uh, she says, I think you've written, she says, I think you've been reading too much Faulkner. <laughs> <laughs> Hung over and haunted like ghosts what you wanted, I got them and I can deliver Who remains, who remember such a long time ago Still a victim, you're gonna forgive her. And there ain't no 
size of a child Moving right toward her All reckless, forsaken Abandoned and beyond her The river is rolling And taking it all away All away, all away Taking it all It'll all be gone soon What was it she said? I hold some passion How can you live out this lifetime of fears in a small town where gets round through hell or high water I stand by you he whispers her trembling near Oh and that's how I felt as the two shadows meld into one as I watched from her closet I knelt and I held my breath small closing in on my mind I'm like nothing at all at
goes what you wanted, I got them, and I can't just sort of stumbling across things and we were lucky the other night here we are this is exactly what we came to nashville for so. that's right this is cricket this is Mimi. this and is tom Harris. that's right <laughs> and thanks for listening and uh, we don't know who we have up next but we assure you it'll be almost as good as this was or it might just be us watching Willie nelson on tv yeah we could give you that too <laughs> <laughs> all right bye guys